G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. It is a rare opportunity for us to be able to get some insights into what is happening in that nation of the world, which is renowned to be the worst persecutor of Christians. And while there might be a number of nations that are going through your mind right now, the one that ought to spring to mind is the nation of North Korea, constantly tops the list of those nations that are the worst persecutors of Christian believers. Well, one of those champions who is a supporter of the persecuted church around the world is visiting Australia, the Reverend Dr. Eric Foley. Uh, Dr. Foley is the author of a number of books. He also leads what is known as the Underground University, and he's with the organization Voice of the Martyrs. He's joining us for an update and an insider's view into what's going on in North Korea. Uh, Dr. Eric Foley, welcome along to 2020. Oh, thank you, Neil. Thank you for having me. Thanks for your interest in North Korea. Eric, there are a lot of things that we might see in the headlines, and the truth of those things coming in the headlines may or may not be exactly as it is on the ground. I know that there is ongoing tension that exists between North Korea and the Western world, Mm -hmm. uh, also North Korea and South Korea, and all those challenges that are going on uh, even with the nation of Japan. As you think of all of the geopolitics, all of the challenges that are facing the region, uh, how is North Korea faring in the way that they respond to the things that are happening around the world? You know, Neil, that's, um, it's an interesting question when we begin to look at um, each of these geopolitical issues. Uh, often in the news media, those are viewed at as uh, view, viewed as very distinct issues. And I think that Christians uh, actually have... Um, the opportunity to have a much clearer perspective of what's happening in North Korea because of our understanding of um, faith and then how uh, North Korea's own state ideology uh, acts as a corruption of the Christian faith. And this is not what we normally hear reported in the media. So uh, as we look at a situation of a, a small nation like North Korea aggressively launching missiles towards Japan and uh, uh, taking a belligerent position on the world stage, One of the things that's important to understand um, is that North Korea simply has very little fear of of any kind of a a military provocation. Uh, North Korea has the fourth largest standing army of any country in the world. So if we were to say which country has a larger standing army, Russia or North Korea, the shocking answer is North Korea. If we were to say who has more special forces, North Korea or the United States, the answer is North Korea. And so uh, North Korea always takes a very aggressive posture when it comes to uh, the issues like, for example, the uh, troop exercises between North and South Korea and its own missile program. Uh, North Korea is under some crushing economic sanctions from the United Nations, and yet it's never been intimidated by economic sanctions. Uh, They have a very large underground economy that's largely driven by things like weapons sales and drug sales. And yet uh, what does cause North Korea a great deal of alarm but is talked about very little in the media is Christian faith, and particularly evangelism discipleship of its population. 
Is it the case, Eric, that there is such control on people in North Korea that this status of the president as a god is the way that things are under control? Very much so. You know, the, um, uh, going back to the inception of the North Korean state, Kim Il-sung, the founder of the North Korean state, actually grew up in a Christian home. Uh, he, uh, he had relatives, actually, who uh, were in the ministry. And so woven into this very fabric of North Korean life is this idea of the worship of the leader. And so in North Korea, we have more than 15,000 Kim Il-sung research centers where North Koreans gather every week to worship Kim Il-sung. They sing from the Kim Il-sung hymnal. And North Korea has a very developed ideology that actually is Trinitarian in nature. And so in, in the homes of North Koreans, on the, the best walls in those homes are pictures of Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, and uh, Kim, Kim Il-sung's wife, Kim Jong-suk, who formed this kind of trinity in North Korea. And any North Korean sitting down to eat would look up at those pictures with deep respect and reverence and say, thank you for this food, dear father. And so that certainly continues to the grandson of Kim, Kim Il-sung, who is Kim Jong-un, who is the leader of North Korea. And uh, one of the things that we've seen in the short time of his ascendancy in North Korea has been a much faster move to divinization, a much faster move to revere him uh, than was seen with either his predecessor, Kim Jong-il, or even Kim Il-sung himself. So this idea of cult mind control, I guess that's one way you'd describe it, because as soon as you've got a cult-like presence in the leader, then control of the people is really the way uh, that that leader has to, to do things in order to keep control of the country. It's, it's, an, it's a very powerful uh, kind of a mindset, in, especially in an East Asian context. In East Asia, we have a very Confucian mindset, you know, Confucius, who um, is responsible so, for so much of the philosophy that uh, undergirds China and, and uh, Korea and Japan. And, and, and in this mindset, um, the father is always regarded as, a, uh, as, as the most important figure, and the leader is regarded as the, the important figure. And so the image of a father leader, who is literally the, the father over all of these people in North Korean ideology, means that this father is deserving of all respect. And so in North Korea, the primary connection of even a child uh, would not be to their parents, but would be to the state, and particularly to, um, to the Kim family itself. There was, um, interestingly, uh, Neil, uh, uh, a underground Christian family uh, some years ago. They had an eight-year-old daughter. She's about 28 years old now, but uh, she was speaking to us recently, and she was telling us that when she was eight years old, she discovered a Bible hidden in her family home. And her immediate thought was, I must report my parents to the state. Now, we would think if it was an eight-year-old, uh, the eight-year-old might think, uh, uh, oh, I need to protect my parents. I need to uh, find out what this is about. But her instinct was, I must report to the state about my parents' activities. And I wish I could tell you that the way that resolved was that the parents then introduced her to Jesus and she became a Christian. But actually, um, they had to physically restrain her uh, and to try to reason with her to tell her that if she did report them as Christians to the state, that she herself would be taken to a concentration camp, since North Korea's net of justice is cast very broadly. So it wasn't until five years later she became a Christian, and that's why underground North Korean Christians don't share their faith with their children until they're about 15 years old. The entire apparatus of the state, Neil, is designed to be able to identify and eliminate Christians. So what is it, Eric, that makes the North Korean state so fearful and so aggressive towards Christians and indeed the presence of a Bible? 
And it's an important distinction between the kind of persecution that Christians experience in North Korea and what they might experience uh, in other parts of the world. In North Korea, uh, persecution happens as a matter of state policy because the existence of the Christian narrative, the Christian ideology, the Christian religion, uh, is what then casts the Juche ideology into doubt as a fraud. Um, when we share the gospel with North Koreans, um, uh, when we meet them in the various places that we, we meet them, um, the interesting thing that their response is almost always the same. They say, why are you copying us? And uh, there are worship services in which uh, someone sings from the Kim Il-sung hymnal, and then someone reads from the writings of Kim Il-sung, and then someone preaches from those writings. They're so similar to the kind of practices that we have as Christians that North Korea simply must eliminate Christians because only Christians stand to expose the Juche ideology as a fraud. And certainly that is why today North Korea continues not only to aggressively attempt to root out Christianity from its own population, but now is beginning to move outside of its borders into China and to kidnapping and even executing or murdering missionaries in order to stop the spread of Christianity among its own people. Well, insights into North Korea today. The Reverend Dr. Eric Foley is our guest. He's Chief Executive Officer of Voice of the Martyrs in Korea. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments about just why Christians are under such intense persecution. Voice of the Martyrs, a wonderful organization championing the cause of persecuted Christians, protecting persecuted Christians in nations around the world where they're so routinely put to death and disadvantaged in so many ways. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. As I said a little earlier, a rare opportunity to have real insight into what's happening in the nation of North Korea and amazing things that are happening, even what you see in the headlines. But to be able to understand the cult-like status, a godlike figure, Kim Jong-un, who leads North Korea, and the way that Christianity is such a threat because it has the capacity to expose a cult. Our special guest is Dr. Eric Foley. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Voice of the Martyrs in Korea. And on a visit to Australia, Eric, as we talk about Christianity in North Korea, and you say that there has been a history. In fact, there was a revival of Christianity back in the early 20th century. That's right. Christianity in, uh, in North Korea, or actually in the Korean Peninsula, began in the 1800s for Protestants, in the late 1800s. So we're really talking about a, a, about a 120-year history. And uh, during the majority of that time, actually beginning in 1910, uh, Christians in North Korea have been under intense persecution. And this is not a small population. As you noted, the, uh, the presence of uh, Christians in, in the northern part of Korea particularly began to balloon in 1907 as a result of the Great Pyongyang Revival. This was an extension of the Great Welsh Revival in Europe, and missionaries who came to uh, Korea found very little interest in Christianity in the South, which is very interesting today. Of course, we have 10 of the 11 largest churches in the world in South Korea. We send more missionaries than any other country except for the United States, and yet North Korea has always been the heart of Korean Christianity, going back to 1907 when Pyongyang was known as the Jerusalem of the East. So it was this great explosion, this uh, tremendous revival of Christianity, and occurred among all of the different classes of North Korea. Nor uh, the northern part of the uh, Korean Peninsula began to send out missionaries to, to northeast China, uh, down to the, the southern part of Korea, 
And um, then in 1910, when Japan occupied Korea, uh, Korean Christians experienced their first test of uh, an intense persecution that came as the Japanese uh, insisted that Korean Christians must bow at Shinto shrines. So when we think about North Korean Christians today, we're talking about Christians who have experienced and endured persecution for more than a hundred years. So for North Koreans, the only kind of Christianity that they have ever known is a Christianity where uh, to believe in Jesus is, is, is to, to risk one's life. You're the author of a number of books. One of those you wrote, These Are the Generations, actually highlights the movement of Christianity from one family generation to the next. In amongst all of this persecution, labor camps, gulags, the persecution that's come from a cult-like leadership in the state, uh, that sort of persecution is normal for most families in North Korea, I imagine. It is, Neil, and I think it's important to understand. Sometimes we have the idea. You can imagine in a country that was so persecuting that you, 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 you cannot close your eyes and bow your head. You cannot possess a Bible. Christians in North Korea can't gather together. It would be understandable if in a country like that, Christians simply hunkered down and waited for the, the regime to blow over, the political winds to change, the climate to become more favorable to express their faith. But again, as I mentioned, that's not the case in North Korea because uh, Korean Christians in the North have only known this intense type of persecution. And so the amazing thing is this is that they simply carry out the activities that we would expect of Christians from worship to prayer to evangelism to discipleship. But along the way, they've developed practices that are truly unique. And so we should not extrapolate. We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't look at uh, China and assume that the North Korean church is like the Chinese church or that the North Korean church is like other persecuted churches. They've really developed very unique practices uh, to enable them to not only survive, but to continue to share their faith. And so that's why today, uh, now more than 100 years after that uh, great Pyongyang revival, we have about 100,000 Christians in North Korea. Uh, and now of a population of 20, 21 million, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it takes a lot of Christians to make 100,000 Christians in North Korea. So about 30,000, Neil, are in concentration camps, and that's uh, something that has uh, gained increasing exposure in the last few years through, for example, the publication of the United Nations Commission of Inquiry report on human rights abuses in North Korea. Let's talk about those concentration camps and what happens to people who are believers, followers of Jesus Christ, in the context of being a Christian in North Korea. What is the likely outcome for people who are exposed as Christians? Well, um, the, <clears throat> no one ever emerges from the concentration camps, other than there have been a few people um, over this um, stretch of vast stretch of North Korean history that have escaped from the camps. And have managed to provide some details, for example, in the UN report. But for the most part, um, Christians enter into the camps. And um, I should note, uh, and this is something that uh, was fascinating to me in writing the book, These Are the Generations, with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bay, the underground Christians who, um, who are the co-authors of the book. Uh, Mr. Bay's mother and father actually ended up in a concentration camp. And what I found so interesting was that um, North Korean Christians consider concentration camps not to be uh, an unbelievably tragic outcome to be avoided. They simply embrace, embrace this as part of their mission field. And so most North Korean Christians have a sense, a strong sense, that it is very likely that their lives will end in a concentration camp. And indeed, that's, a, that's probably a very practical sense because many of them do. Um, a 
about uh, five or six years ago, North Korean, the North Korean state began to realize that uh, in prison, Christianity spreads very quickly. And so um, the witness of the North Korean underground Christians in concentration camps was so effective, uh, not even a witness through words, but sometimes, for example, a witness by volunteering for the worst task, a witness of giving up what little food that they had. So Christianity spread so well in the camps that uh, Christians are now segregated in the camps in North Korea so that they're not permitted to interact with other prisoners. Is it the case that Mr. Bay is quoted as saying prison is the best seminary training a Christian can get? Absolutely. You know, the, uh, often um, when I'm interviewed, uh, reporters uh, or hosts will say to me, uh, they'll, they'll introduce me by saying, uh, Pastor Foley works in the worst place to be a Christian. And yet that is a sentiment I have never heard a North Korean underground Christian share. I've not heard underground North Korean Christians say, help us escape, help us to get out of here. Uh, but quite the opposite, uh, they have embraced the reality of the situation up to and including concentration camps and prisons. And generally their attitude is, is that in prison they experience an extra closeness of God. And this is something that we'll hear from persecuted Christians around the world. And certainly uh, North Koreans um, uh, exemplify that. Uh, they speak about a time of uh, where there are no distractions, where um, it's possible simply to uh, memorize and re-memorize scriptures and think of this, the hymns that one knows, you know, in one's mind. And so they usually emerge from prison if, if they're not in a concentration camp, but just in a prison setting. They usually emerge from prison much more deeply rooted in the Lord. And, uh, and so I think it's, it's an important lesson for us to understand that uh, Christian faith doesn't end and can't be exterminated in concentration camps. In fact, it takes root even more deeply. Tell me how Australian Christians can be supporters of the work that you do there in Korea and stretching across the border into North Korea in in ways that perhaps we're not all so familiar with and some ways that I'm sure are actually quite secret. How can Australian Christians support the work that you're doing, Eric? Uh, I have to answer that question by telling a bit of an embarrassing story about myself as an American. I, I live now in South Korea, but originally from the United States. And when my wife and I uh, founded our ministry 16 years ago, we met our first underground believers. And um, I was every bit the American pastor that you would imagine that as I looked across the table at this underground North Korean believer, I said to him, how can I pray for you? And his response was to look at me and say, you pray for me, we pray for you. And I was puzzled by his response. I said, well, why would you pray for us? We're from America. We, you need uh, Bibles, you need medicine, whatever it is that you need, we can provide it. And he said, well, that's the, that's the trouble with you Americans and South Koreans. You have so much, so much uh, money and so much freedom that uh, you often end up putting your faith and your money and your freedom. He said, we North Koreans have neither money nor freedom. Uh, we have only Christ. And we have come to realize that Christ is sufficient. And so one of the things I think is really important for Christians around the world, and especially for Australian Christians, is the way that we approach the persecuted church is not to look at them in a position of pity or to uh, pray uh, simply that they would be uh, made like us. But the first thing that Australian Christians can do is, can, is to put themselves in a position of, of humble learning. And I think uh, the reason I have come to Australia's Voice of the Martyrs here in Australia is uh, one of the most uh, fantastic Voice of the Martyrs organizations around the world at, at sharing from that perspective. What is it that we can learn from underground believers? And so Voice of the Martyrs Australia, through its website, through its newsletters, through the books it produces, I believe is producing important material for Australian Christians to be able to 
to learn a different perspective of persecuted Christianity. In the news today, it's very popular to talk about the assault on Christians around the world uh, as if it was something to be eliminated and overcome through political means. But Voice of the Martyrs always points out that um, in the Bible, the state of persecution is simply part of living a faithful life, uh, godly life in Christ Jesus, as Timothy says to, uh, Paul says to Timothy. So as a result of that, I think the first thing to, to Australian Christians need to do is to inform themselves move from a position where we're inclined to pity and, and hope simply that the situation blows over and changes to really asking how can we learn from Christians in North Korea and India and Saudi Arabia and Iran and so forth. From that position, then, we're in a great, uh, we have a great advantage to know then how we can become the junior partners in partnerships where our prayers and our financial resources can be used uh, not in a way of leading the effort in a particular country. Uh, our founder, Pastor Richard Wormbrandt, uh, years ago said, give us the tools and we'll complete the work. And a lot of times the solutions to the problems that North Korean Christians or other underground Christians are facing are very different uh, than what we would imagine them to be as Australian or American Christians. Um, we have that situation now in uh, areas of North Korea where we have large numbers of women who are being sex trafficked uh, by the North Korean government into China. And um, well-meaning Christian organizations will try to help those women escape to South Korea. Uh, but in doing that, the problem is, is that um, it is now leaving large numbers of orphans in Northeast China from uh, the children that these women had as part of these forced marriages. We have more than 15,000 of these orphans that have no citizenship in China or North Korea. Uh, they can't get medicine or health care. They can't be adopted. They can't go to school. And then when the women are taken to South Korea, the rate of death due to suicide is 17.6%. And uh, so the solution is not simply taking women out of that situation or helping them to become like us and have more money or more freedom. So when we listen to North Korean Christians and say, how do we solve this problem? Their solutions are very different than what we would expect. Um, their focus is on trying to help those families, the husbands, the wives, and the children who are formed through uh, slavery to be transformed by Christ. And that's something that would be very unusual for us as Australian Christians or American Christians. Those are not the kind of solutions we would think of. And yet when we, when we employ those solutions, when we empower North Korean Christians to carry out just that kind of work, uh, we then see the gospel spread. We see people coming to know Christ in a deep way. We see life preserved. We see families held together. And so I think we really need to be in a listening posture, Neil, and that is what Voice of the Martyrs Australia is all about, is listening to the voice of the martyrs. Well, I'll help our listeners connect with you. Voice of the Martyrs, a wonderful organization. Here's the website so that you can take advantage of some of those resources that will increase our understanding of what it is to be a supporter or not so much supporter as the way that Eric's putting it, he's saying to be a partner with those who are undergoing such intense persecution in North Korea. Voice of the Martyrs website is vom.com.au. Easy to remember, vom.com.au. The Reverend Dr. Eric Foley is the Chief Executive Officer of Voice of the Martyrs in Korea. Eric, thank you so much for taking some time. Uh, let's do this again sometime and get another update, but thanks for being with us today on 2020. Mm, thanks, Neil, for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported.
Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.